0: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions,
1: and updates across the world of wrestling. To the
0: highway, in a brand new
1: day, gotta let it go, so fight. The a- Fast to to down, down. 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 I'm me- in
2: Welcome back to Open the Voicegate Rewind and Rewatch, episode 29, covering Open the Golden Gate from the Weston Los Angeles Airport Hotel in Los Angeles, California, on January 27th, 2012. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on the dedicated Open the Voicegate feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can find us on Twitter at Open Voicegate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. I'll take you to the red circle. You hit the red button, and you can do a one-time or reoccurring donation. No, no obligation whatsoever, but we'd certainly appreciate it, and thanks to all previous donors. I'm with your host, it's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, joined as always by my co-host, Case Lo Case, after, it seems like, four months. Welcome to 2012, my friend. We're here.
0: This is, uh, obviously, a huge year in society between Coney 2012 and the end of the Mayan calendar Uh, It certainly seems like 2012 was a better time to be alive than our current 2020 incarnation. We had been recording episodes of the 2011 Gate USA run since mid-June. And so it is very nice to turn over the calendar and to have what really feels like a fresh coat of paint in this promotion on this show, but especially going forward, things will change. We'll find out if it's for better or worse, but ultimately things are going to change. And it's just, it's nice to talk to you, Mike.
2: Yeah, it's nice to talk to you, too, and watching this show, I was like, oh, wow, we actually have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about, seeing that we went from the end of the year in 2011, closed out, DG's DG USA's run, oddly enough, both in the arena and BB King's Blue's Bar and Grill. We start off the year on the West Coast. It's the first ever like true West Coast show. Two months later, we spent part of our wrap-up last, last week getting into the end of 2011 in Dragon Gate and Dragon Gate USA but case big things were afoot to end out 2011 and 2012 and we have a lot to talk to talk about before we get into this really fun Golden Gate show so take it away with the timeline
0: well Mike I think to celebrate the glorious year that was 2011 we have to go to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Awards are you okay starting there
2: yeah let's start there uh this I had the date written down in my notes on when the awards were January 26 the, or-
0: 2012
2: All right, January 26, 2012. Interesting year of awards, and this is really something that... What were your thoughts just off the top looking at the awards?
0: I had no major issues with them. I actually think this was a year where the voters got it right, and I think for all of these categories, I'll highlight the top three for each category that we'll discuss, and then I'll highlight anything that pertains to Drangate or the Drangate USA universe in the top ten, but... One of the things that that stood out to me here is I think the Western idea is that New Japan Pro Wrestling, which we'll be talking a lot more about as we get into 2012, that New Japan really took off in the West in October of 2012 with their first Ustream show, King of Pro Wrestling, with the five-star Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Minoru Suzuki match. But as you'll see in the 2011 Wrestling Observer Newsletter Awards, Hiroshi Tanahashi and New Japan dominate. And it is a very good year for them, more so than it is for Dragon Gate. And I think 2011 is typically looked at as a year where a lot of Western fans had their eyes on Dragon Gate. Junction 3 versus Blood Warriors brought in a lot of Western attention. But these awards kind of say differently. It kind of says that New Japan was the top dog dating back to 2011.
2: And you know, it's something that if we we chart out the the 2010s, at least, like, Western consciousness, the intersection point probably would be somewhere between Wrestle Kingdom 6 and the first Yushin show on at least what I would consider Western popularity. Like, we talked about the first ever New Japan shows in the United States when they did, when they crowned their first Intercontinental Champion. And that kind of was the start of their futures drastically changing. It'll drastically change a lot more even through the calendar year of 2012, but... I, I like look at the awards and I look at like the keynote awards and, and who appears where and like if anything this was a, a time that I know he's already in the Hall of Fame, but if there's something that like you want to stake a claim on who the most important person has been to New Japan pro wrestling, especially the person that and I think he gets the credit for it, which is which is that he's the person that went through those lean last Inoki years into the Ukes years and then Bushi Road, in a lot of ways, like they finally crystallize it is. This is kind of, in a lot of ways, what Hiroshi Tanahashi did in twenty eleven, twenty ten, twenty twelve, is like he was the he was the lead blocker. He was the guy that took the company on his back when it was in its darkest place and was able to keep it alive until Bushi Road really was able to stabilize things. And these twenty eleven awards really kind of celebrate that. And I think that that was a good move. It's it's this is not a set of awards really that. I feel like, that, they, like you said, you feel like they got them right. You know, I don't have a lot of complaints looking at these awards, and that's something that even for, like, WWE and TNA people, I usually would have some complaints, but I feel like that there's some categories I massively disagree with, but I see people's logic here, and that's not always the case, especially in recent years.
0: So when we talk about Flair Thez, Wrestler of the Year in 2011, third place was John Cena, second place was CM Punk, and first place was Hiroshi Tanahashi. Masaki Mochizuki finished fourth. Davey Richards finished tenth. Tanahashi over CM Punk is a shocker to me.
2: It's a shocker to me, especially given, like, CM Punk's 2011, but I feel like the farther we get away from 2011, the more I'm like, you know what? The voters are right about Hiroshi Tanahashi in 2011, even though CM Punk probably had one of the most notable years, at least for an American wrestler and an American promotion, at least until, like, Chris Jericho last year in AEW, maybe. So, it makes sense.
0: And then from there, we go to most outstanding wrestler. This was taken home by the Prodigal son Davey Richards. Hiroshi Tanahashi, second, Daniel Bryan, third. Akira Tozawa, seventh. So, between Tozawa's work in PWG at the start of the year, Drangate USA throughout the year, and Drangate proper in Japan in the back half of the year, Tozawa secures a seventh-place finish with 19 first-place votes. Davey Richards... 201 first place votes uh he nudged out Tanahashi for that top spot a, a great year for both men
2: and the interesting thing about it is Akira Tozawa has the second least amount of first place votes on here but he's edges out like this tier of wrestlers that's him Averno Eddie Edwards and Dolph Ziggler he has less first place votes for everyone in that category, in that like that tier other than Dolph Ziggler so what that tells me is a lot of people like were picking up these DVDs and the PWG DVDs and watching Dragon Gate USA, maybe we're catching Infinity, and we're like, all right, this guy might not be our number one or our number two, but he appeared on a whole lot of ballots.
0: Yeah, if I had to construct some sort of 2011 ballot just from what we watched in this promotion and what I was re-watching from Dragon Gate in Japan with the context of everything else that I've seen from 2011, which is most stuff— it would be some sort of combination of Mochizuki, Tozawa, and Pac for my most outstanding. I I really think those three had a particularly great year, and all of those guys play into our feud of the year when we move forward. Uh, John Cena versus CM Punk, I would say the rightful winner there. Randy Orton and Christian finished second place. Davey Richards and Eddie Edwards over the Ring of Honor World title that finished third. And fourth place, Mike, Blood Warriors versus Junction 3.
2: And... With uh, Junction 3 and Blood Warriors, second most first place votes. So, what that's telling me is the people that watch Dragon Gate thought much more highly of this feud than a lot of people who didn't. And, you know, for like how important CM Punk was, at least for like that one calendar year, that again, I think the further we get away from it, the more it kind of diminishes, really shows you like how strong the stuff is in Dragon Gate and Dragon Gate USA in 2011. The fact that this entire like year-long feud showed up ahead of a bunch of MMA feuds, uh, some stuff that's happening in all Japan, and some stuff, nothing on New Japan made the list, which is interesting to me.
0: That is interesting, especially given the domination of Tanahashi, and then you look at Tag Team of the Year, first place is Bad Intentions, Giant Bernard and Carl Anderson, the Briscoe brothers are second, and strong BJ of Sakamoto and Okabayashi are third, Fifth place is the Young Bucks, who we'll be talking about a lot on this show. Seventh place is the Spike Mohicans of Shima and Ricochet. And there are honorable mentions. Uh, Look at these four honorable mentions. It's the All Night Express who had a great 2011. It's Future Shock of Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. It's Pac and Masada Yoshino. And it is Kevin Steen and Akira Tozawa. 2011 was a terrific year for tag teams.
2: Yeah, and like, just getting in like the overall rankings you have the briscoes you have strong bj you have bad intentions which i think this was the last calendar year for bad intentions because i think that soon uh forget his real name but uh well bernard uh, leaves to
0: become albert uh, albert something he becomes lord tenzai pretty early into 2012
2: yeah yeah so this is like last year that but i'm like looking at the rest of this like you have beer money on this list you have apollo go go you have Manubasoya um, and, and Say yes, Nada, which was a big tag team for all Japan, and then you even have like the Airbroom tag team. That if wasn't for the fact that, uh, you know, you know, drug testing protocols, like they ended up the, there as well. This is arguably like the tag teams is usually what I find like to be the most interesting category. Would this be maybe like the most stacked tag team category? Given like how recently a lot of people were, like I don't know what tag teams to pick with 2011. You have like 15 tag teams here that. I th- would argue are thriving, even though I'm not big All Night Express fan. Like, there's a lot of great tag teams in 2011. Do personally, I would probably put Spike Mohicans. Like, I uh, like the reason why a uh, Bad Intentions ones because they basically had like belt cap or gimmicks that year. They went into G- didn't they also win the GHC Heavyweight Tag this year as well? Like, they were winning a lot of tag team belts, but so, the Bucks being fifth considering the year they had in 2011 is something. But I think Spike Mohicans kind of got a little bit of the short staffed here.
0: The only other year I think of the past decade that would compare to it is 2015. And I'll quickly run down that top 10 just to give you an idea of what was going on there. It's the Young Bucks, Red Dragon, New Day, Strong BJ, Naruki Doi, and Yamato. Jason Jordan Chad Gable, Tyson, Kidd, and Cesaro, Michael Bennett and Matt Taven, Matt Seidel and Ricochet, Trent Beretta and Rocky Romero, and then an honorable mention list that includes the Killer Elite Squad, Jack Evans and Angelico, uh Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson, the Briscoes, and the American Wolves. So 2015 was stacked, and there's an argument to be made that, Maybe even an Amigo tag, you know, Yoshino and Sashi Hoko Boy should have been included in that list as well. A Jimmy's team, maybe. But you look at that top five of Bucks, Red Dragon, New Day, and I don't know what the New Day did that year, but they were good enough for third and 167 first place votes. Strong BJ and Naruki Doi and Yamada. That is a pretty solid list.
2: Yeah, I, I think I would maybe take that 2015 list over 2011, but it's neck and neck, really. It's personal preference, I feel like.
0: Most improved is an interesting category to look at. The winner was Dolph Ziggler who ran away with this 224 first place votes. Mark Henry was second. I think this was 20 years into Mark Henry's career. Congratulations on a most improved there. Third place was Ricochet. To me, this was a no doubter that Ricochet should have won this award. And then honorable mentions, there's Gate USA guys all over the place with Akira Tozawa, Johnny Gargano, Sammy Callahan, and Chuck Taylor in the honorable mention list. Mike, I've talked about it for years now. I correlate all of Ricochet's success directly to his 2011 and working with Pac on pretty much every show for an entire year.
2: Yeah, and I would say that this is probably the major category where the voters had the most egg on their face in retrospect. Because you look at like Dolph Ziggler, like I feel like he's won most improved like five times. It's yeah, either well, most well, like improved
0: if, or most underrated. It's like him and, him and Cesaro uh, in that most underrated category is always going to be a, a prominent feature.
2: And I feel like Mark Henry also got, like, 2006 was another time that they, that, that there was a big internet outcry for Mark Henry improving as a wrestler. The, like, the big thing that gets me here, and you know I'm gonna say, who I'm going to say this about, KS, is Akira Jozawa, wasn't that he was improved, it just was that he was given an opportunity and was told, hey, just go be yourself. So it's like the most misleading 11th place vote when really it just was, he was always good. He Even in like 2008, he was always good. It just was the fact that he didn't have people yelling at him, for lack of a better words.
0: Best technical wrestler, Daniel Bryan as always, won this award. Second place was Davey Richards. Third place was Prince Devitt, who was all over these ballots. Uh, He had a very strong 2011. No Drangate guys in contention there, as we moved to Best Brawler, in which we saw Kevin Steen win things pretty easily over Togi Makabe and the Briscoe brothers, who finished second and third, respectively. Sammy Callahan, with his work in CZW, Evolve, and Drangate USA, he was able to notch a seventh place finish in these awards, with Brody Lee and Dean Ambrose finishing in the the honorable mentions
2: you know no i think that all lines up especially i think it's crazy for people who get into wrestling now looking back this like Togi makabe has been like a solid brawler for a long time now he just doesn't care because he makes his money doing advertising but for a while like he was like like this really like frightful brawler like there's a reason why he came out to immigrant song and had the chain like it fit him very well so you know this is actually like I think that this category might be the one where I think they were probably most on other than everyone just, no one, no one recognized how great Brody Lee was in 2011. No, that's it's That's just sickening. I, that, that I feel like we, we've come to terms with, right?
0: Absolutely. Well, I, luckily, when we look at these awards, I think the voters' heads were in the right place in, in 2011 for Best Flying Wrestler, third place Pac, second place Kota Ibushi, first place Ricochet. I have no issue with this at all.
2: No, no, no. And and I look at the rest of the top 10. No issue with the top 10. Rey Mysterio, eighth, seems a little bit like this. Uh, Devitt is five when most of his flying has been topes, you know? So, like, that's, like, the only things that are... That's quibbling, but top three, I mean, that's dead on. Like, no argument there.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think those are three guys that, you know, as the decade progresses, and I think as this decade progresses, we'll see a, a huge influence of what they did coming into fruition with a, with a new generation of talent. Uh, most underrated, there were no Dragon Gate guys in the running there. Promotion of the year is interesting, though. UFC took home the top spot, New Japan Pro Wrestling in second, and Dragon Gate in third, Chikara, PWG, and uh, Ring of Honor all in the top 10 as well.
2: So, last year, it was Ultimate Fighting Championship, then Dragon Gate. 2011, again, we were talking about how kind of the taste shift as new Japan for like the first time in a long time ends up number two and they would not be dragon gate. I did not think ever got ahead of new Japan since at least in Western fans.
0: No, cause new Japan ran away with everything. And I think even in a year like 2015 where dragon gate was better, uh, the New Japan, they just did not get the the voter credit that they needed. The last category that we'll talk about, we'll just do the major A categories, B categories. I know Ricochet won Best Maneuver for his double moonsault. They did pretty well in the single vote categories, but we'll just focus on the big ones here. Worked Match of the Year. Mike, there is no Dragon Gate representation, and you think about all the great matches we watched But apparently, they weren't good enough. Uh, Like John Cena versus CM Punk from Money in the Bank, Eddie Edwards versus Davey Richards from Best of the World, and Undertaker versus Triple H from WrestleMania. I believe that was 27 in Atlanta. So we comprised our own list of the top 10 Dragon System matches of 2011, featuring Dragon Gate, Dragon Gate USA, and on my ballot, Dragon Gate UK. Mike, would you like to do the honors of reading your top 10?
2: So mine's only DGUSA.
0: Oh, okay. Well, G- no, I did a full ballot here of uh well, Dragon well, I want to hear you point out
2: your your other Dragon System matches, then I'll get into my DGUSA ones afterwards.
0: Yeah, well, okay. I, let, let me just, I'll read my top ten and then you can go from there. How about that? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so uh, match of the year for me, five-star match, Pac and Dragon Kid versus Shima and Ricochet. At Kobe World 2011, it's one of the best matches yeah. in Dragon Gate System history. It's a five-star match, as is my second-place match from Dragon UK: Shingo versus Asumu, three October 22nd, 2011. One day, this footage will become readily available, and we will all bask in the glory that was this match. But for now, it is it is my hidden little secret, as I am one of the few people that bought this show on demand on WWN Live. ...when they were, you know, selling their library. What a crazy thought that was. Third place, <laughs> Masaki Mochizuki versus BB Hulk from Kobe World 2011. Fourth place, a match we have talked about so much recently... ...Naruki Doi KZ and Naoki Tanazaki versus Gamma Punch Tamanaga and Sachi Hoko Boy from November 19th. We moved to Gate USA for fifth place. Shima and Ricochet versus Pac and Yoshino from Way of the Ronin 2011... Back to Japan for sixth place with Masaki Mochizuki versus Akira Tozawa. Seventh place, United Philly, one of the best shows we've watched up to this point. Naruki Doi and Ricochet versus Pac and Yoshino. You'll see a trend here of Pac in a lot of tag matches. Uh, Eighth place, right before Blood Warriors versus Junction 3 really took off, Masaki Mochizuki versus Yamato from Dead or Alive. Ninth place, Masaki Mochizuki versus Yasushi Kanda from June 19th. And 10th place, I think in any top 10 match of the year list, your 10th place needs to be a vanity pick of a match that you really like. And for me, that was Pac, Rich Swan, and AR Fox versus Shima, Ricochet, and Akira Tozawa from Indianapolis chasing the dragon September 9th.
2: This will frustrate you. That was my last cut. Oh, that would have Mike, been my 10th. That is, that is
0: storytelling as it should be done. It deserved a spot on your list.
2: Captain's Fall matches rule if you do them right. Like might be my favorite thing that that is not used a lot. Uh stardom as of the time of recording recently did one and they didn't really do it right, but it was still like a decent match. But God, I love I love a solid Captain's Fall match. So yeah, I, I it's interesting like looking at your list because clearly if you want to take the the Dragon Summit whole, the MVP was Mo- Misaki Masaki Mochizuki in twenty eleven. I think that's Without question. not a controversial statement. I would say though, and my list is solely of DGUSA I don't have any big disagreements on your inclusions from Dragon Gate proper there, but here's my top eleven, or my top ten rather. So our one and our one and two matches are the exact same: Spike Mohican's versus Pac and Yoshino from uh, Way of the from 911. I went four and a half on that, and then Doy and Ricochet versus Pac and Yoshino from United Philly, four and a half on that. Then it's Pac versus Ricochet from 1113, so the final show of the year they had. Then Uh, yoshino and Pak versus yamato and tozawa from june that was after the the big split and they still were all doing this right before or right before tozawa you know right before that all happened kicked off there then match five was yoshino and Pac versus shima and doi from uh, mania weekend i went four and a half there six this might be my my, my one vanity pick because i know how much higher i was on this than you hulk and akira versus chuck taylor and rich swan from uh, From Freedom Fight 2011 at four and a half. A match that Yamato, I loved,
0: mind you, a match that I loved just not as much as you.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that that's an it, it is such a cool match and it's something that I was really glad we got a chance to talk about last week. Uh, seventh Yamato versus Pac from uh, it's the part of the Championship Challenge weekend that they had, and then Naruki Doi versus Sammy Callahan from Nine Nine from Low Territory. Wow, and then i love that match yeah that's i love right, you did i love territory naruki doi as then i talk about from 9 11 naruki doi versus johnny Gargano, another one on there and then my 10th ring gas i guess this is kind of a vanity pick for me it is from mania weekend it is the brave gate match between pack and akira tozawa
0: mike i think that's an incredibly solid top 10 your match 10 gets a proper rematch on Open the Golden Gate, and if it is okay with you, I think we are ready to put 2011 in the rear view and move ahead to the build of Open the Golden Gate. And that build is going to start with a promotion-shifting announcement on November 25th from the Dranget USA Newswire when Gabe Sapolsky writes, Dranget USA and Evolve have unified. Here's what this means. And then Gabe goes into... About five bullet points that I think could have been condensed into one, essentially saying that Gate USA and Evolve now exist in the same universe. Uh, they're separate promotions, but the storylines carry over. Evolve records will matter in Evolve, and they will have influence in the Gate USA booking, but the records will not carry over. And Gabe alludes to the possibility of an evolved title in 2012, but that does not happen for another year. So Mike, we are now fully under the WWN live umbrella as we would come to know it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And just like taking a step back, I think that this was something that as we get into 2012 and we'll get more and more into it, this lets Gabe only have to like have uh, the DG office people or Dragon Gate Japan people over only two day, two for two shows versus three. And I think that at least I was starting to feel the fatigue of three of triple shot weekends. I could tell that the wrestlers themselves did as well. So it makes sense. And then especially if you have your championship belt on Johnny Gargano, you could still, you spent all that time building him up. He should be able to take over the Evolve brand until they have an Evolve championship. So it lines up. It's something that given their business and given how the uh, landscape drastically changed, I feel like it matches up. Like it makes sense that this would happen. It is something though that, I will say that a lot of interest kind of dipped the more and more that Evolve became featured. So it, it it was not without its risk.
0: Well, we have two notes here that pertain directly to Evolve. On December 5th, it was announced that Uha Nation and John Davis had both agreed to drag it USA contracts. Well deserved from both of them, and they uh will hopefully have a big 2012. I'm not entirely sure what is in store for them. And then we get the confirmation. On December 25th, that Evolve 10, January 14th, from the ECW Arena will be the final show in that arena. Gabe notes that the walls uh, will be knocked down, including the bathroom area and the Eagle's Nest and all of the interior walls. The building will be completely remodeled, so Gabe is planning for a night of extreme surprises Headline by Johnny Gargano versus Ricochet for the Open the Freedom Gate title. Mike, we've been joking about this show since show one, it feels like. I'm ready to run down the results of Evolve 10, a tribute to the arena, and then you have the floor to wax poetically about this show. Are you good with that?
2: Yeah, let's do it. Uh, the one thing I'll note, because of, there's other stuff we want to get into, there's a lot of solid coverage done by both dave brian and other people about what was supposed to be the end of the era of the ecw arena of course wasn't didn't end up being the end of the arena i think funding fell through for them because the ideas they had for the arena were insane <laughs> what they were going to try to make it into a three thousand seat concert hall legitimately that's what the owners did. and i think they changed the ownerships after that so we saw how well that went for them in case
0: yeah, no, that is a that is a disaster. Much like this show, Evolve Ten a Tribute to the Arena, January Fourteenth, Twenty Twelve. The show opens with low key, legitimately knocking out a uh, two Larry Dallas's monster in two minutes. We saw Cheech defeat Cloudy. The scene of Caleb Conley and Scott Reed, they defeated the Beaver Boys of Alex Reynolds and John Silver. Jigsaw defeated A.R. Fox. Uha Nation destroyed Pinky Sanchez. Ronan of Chuck Taylor and Rich Swan, they defeated the Super Smash Brothers in what I'm sure was an excellent match. John Davis defeated Kyle Matthews. Bobby Fish defeated Sammy Callahan. The Open the Freedom Gate title match. Mike, this match went 24 minutes and 21 seconds. Johnny Gargano made his first successful defense of the belt over Ricochet. And then the final match in the history of the ECW arena as we knew it then, Sabu defeated Justin Credible.
2: So, the yeah, the uh, Taylor and Swan versus your Smash Brothers was a very solid match. Probably the best match on the show. Like by And the reason why I say that is... Uh so you can watch this Loki versus Atu match. I think it's pretty much everywhere. It's long enough to be embedded in a Twitter clip. He basically bum rushes him hits a capo kick, knocks the guy out. They stumble around for 20 seconds and then he does the warrior's way and wins. I don't like, I don't
0: condone it, but it is one of the coolest things I've ever seen.
2: Yeah, yeah, we're in the 2012. We're going to be talk about Loki for a couple of weeks I'm so, so like, pumped month, guys. I'm so pumped. It is I there's something that's coming towards the end of the show that Case does not know about that I'm going to be talking about Loki with this that I'm stoked about. And then, yeah, I mean, uh, Beaver Boys getting like this is when they were first starting to kind of d- do things. Uh, don't remember much of Bobby Fish and Evolve. I knew it happened. This was also a, v- a drastically different uh, Bobby Fish than before. Then we kind of need to get into why this uh, Gargano and Ricochet match is so notable. I, I don't want to say it's notorious, but it's, it was a very auspicious beginning to uh, Johnny Gargano's Freedom Gate title reign.
0: I'm sure you have more information than I do. I mean, I know Gargano was badly hurt the weekend before, tried to push through, and then minutes into this match, re-injured himself and aggravated that injury. And then on top of that, they ended up going longer than they were supposed to. So it's this hyped Gargano versus Ricochet match, and it was long anyways, but then you factor in Gargano moving in half speed, in such a big moment that it's just never lived up to the expectations and I would say for at least the people involved in the US indie scene this is kind of an infamous match this is a notorious like oh god remember that It's it was a complete and utter disaster
2: yeah 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 I would say that with the exception of maybe that Hulk versus Susumi Okosuka Freedom Gate match that, that was in Japan that was not very good at all this is probably the worst championship match they've had I would say, and I don't think that's being hyperbolic Ooh, at That will be
0: an interesting thing to go back to at the end of at the end of this project,
2: because like at this moment, I think it's the worst one they had as a to to calendar date. I'll say that. I, I would agree no. with that. And and like the thing is, is like so, Gargano had a spine injury or something that like he, as you said, like he aggravated beforehand. He talks about it it's pretty open. Like everyone like talks about it because it's that notorious of a match. Uh, his back seizes up partway like two minutes into the match and he talks about for the next like half hour he couldn't feel his limbs and he still tried to have a match and collapsed backstage had to be taken to the hospital and had to be and had to be wheelchaired onto and off of plane flights for that and it just was like a it's one of those things that given those guys and given the guy's age I mean Ricochet's 23 at this point like he's not he's still practically for all intents and purposes a baby and He's just someone, and, and Johnny Gargano is someone that, like, they did such a great job of how, like, they ended 2011 and how I choose to believe that they ended the show with him. And it's just is one of those things that you just, like, look at and you're like, oh, God, this was, like, a disaster. And it's probably, like, a something that's, like, a feather in both Gabe and uh, Gargano's hat that they were able to kind of reclaim this, like, title reign by I don't know, at least, but, but by the Natal it came back around, but this was definitely starting off on the wrong foot.
0: Yeah, it was just one of those seemingly classic Drangit USA Evolve momentum killers, where all of this hype would be built up, they finally had some portion of the community on their side, and then this happened, and I specifically remember the Evolve show years later, I think it was SummerSlam Weekend 2016, where... You know, oh my god, Evolve's the hottest ticket in town, and Daniel Bryan and Cesaro are at this show, and then they have a Timothy Thatcher-Drew Gulak uh, title match that is just dreadful, and then they try to do essentially an ECW six-man main event, and it bombed horribly, and oh, there goes Evolve again, like, it just seemed like whenever this promotion... Whatever branch, either the, the Purple of Evolve or the Red of Dragon at USA, whatever the ball would get rolling, it would immediately get stolen from them, and essentially life would windmill dunk in their faces.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's worth noting, this, up until, like, Wrestlemania Weekends, was the most attended Evolve show of all time. Like, they were able to get, like, 700 people into the arena. Like, it's listed as 800, it's probably closer to 700. It's kind of insane. And this is what happened to him.
0: With Gargano's injury in mind, we should note that the original plans for this Dranget USA card uh, were announced on January 9th with the announcement that the Young Bucks of Matt and Nick Jackson were returning to Dranget USA for a dream six-man tag match with the Young Bucks and A.R. Fox. Against Ronan of Johnny Gargano, Chuck Taylor, and Rich Swan. that same day it was announced that B.B. Hulk would be taking on Sammy Callahan, but after the incident at Evolve 10, January 23rd, it was announced that GGUSA USA champion Johnny Gargano will be unable to make it to open the Golden Gate due to his back injury, however... Low key was added to Dragon Gate USA. He'll be making his debut on this show and wrestling BB Hulk, which means that Sammy Callahan will resume his feud with AR Fox in an Anything Goes match. And on top of that, the Young Bucks are now going to be wrestling Chuck Taylor and Rich Swan. So it's a real what could have been with this show. Mike, I'm so bummed we never got that six man tag
2: yeah 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 and that could have been like such a big match but like when it rain it pours with WWN. like it's not just one thing that goes wrong with it first it's john gargano and this card's gonna be changing a lot more before we start talking about the show itself but getting the bucks back especially given like how bad their tna scent went and then them going back on the indies really kind of doing ring of honor and takara but now starting to do gabe stuff and it's it's definitely something that's that's gonna be cool to like kind of follow as like this I would argue is, like, the real, like, popular culture ascent of the Bucks starts pretty much with the calendar changing into 2012.
0: Oh, yes, there is stuff that we'll be able to timeline, specifically with the Young Bucks throughout this year, that I think directly can be linked to their success today. Much like, as as that is really the big Dragon at USA news and notes that we have, we do need to shift to Japan for a second to get a larger context of what is going on in Dragon Gate, But also, Mike, quickly, just for historical purposes, we want to run down this Wrestle Kingdom 6 card, January 4th, 2012, at the Tokyo Dome. Mike, this show opened with Apollo 55, Devitt, and Taguchi defeating Davey Richards and Rocky Romero to win the IWGP Junior Tag Team titles. There was a big eight-man cluster of junior heavyweight wrestlers. Match 3, Kazuchika Okada defeats Yoshihashi. And that will be an incredibly important match in the history of New Japan Pro Wrestling. We also saw Matsukatsu motherfucking Funaki and uh, Masayuki Kono defeating Wataru Inoue and Yuji Nagata. MVP and Shelton Benjamin defeated Masato Tanaka and uh, Yujiro Takahashi. Hiroshi Tenzan and Satoshi Kojima defeated Bad Intentions. Hiroki Goto defeated Pro Wrestling Noah's Takashi Segura. Togi Makabe went over on Yoshihiro Takayama. Goshi Ozaki and Naomichi Marifuji of... Marifuji? Naomichi Marifuji. There is the clean take for all you audiophiles out there. Goshi Ozaki and Naomichi Marifuji of Pro Wrestling Noah defeated Shinsuke Nakamura and Toru Yano. Keiji Muto defeated Tetsuya Naito in 22 minutes. In your main event, Hiroshi Tanahashi defeats Minoru Suzuki. After the match, Kazuchiko Okada comes out, makes a challenge to Tanahashi, and the entire Tokyo Dome laughs in his face.
2: Yeah, this is... Now we're kind of in modern history in a way. Like, this is, like, ancient history of, like, Dragon Gate terms or Dragon Gate USA terms, but this is, like, we just talked about New Japan Ascendant. Arguably, this is this is the the show that starts their modern history. You could argue Ustream, but uh, uh, the Grey gimmick being debuted and him making the challenge that would happen at New Beginning 2012 is definitely like the era shifting. And it's something that with like the company, like they had, they sold 23,000 tickets, and it's insane to like think about. Like they started from there. I remember like hearing that the Gaijin work events like in 2009, 2010 that the company might close and. They're already starting to rebound. You have a lot of like Noah help on those shows. This definitely was like a period that everyone it kind of was like a period of good feelings without the uh, the uh, the Japanese scene. It could be like things that I would argue that the the scene came together after Fukushima and Three Eleven. So everyone was kind of on the same page, and a lot of people put like past uh, egos aside. And that's kind of how like this card feels like. You know, like you ha- you have a lot of no participation. You have some all J- Japan precipitate, uh, p- but yeah, precipitation. We're both having issues. Yeah. Here. Well, it, you're, you're looking
0: for uh, participation is the word participation. You're for.
2: That's it. That's it. Participation. Yeah. I'm yep. <laughs> I, I am not going to do a clean take. I'm just going to keep on going. And it, it's interesting. Cause you have like, it, it's something also about like Minoru Suzuki as like the big outsider at the time. And he never stopped kind of being the big outsider. So it's a cool show. Like, and it was like, this is the kickoff of their 40th anniversary year. And it's just kind of a wild thing to think about. Like, this was like nestled into the Observer for that week and how, you know, that's not going to be the case for for New Japan for much longer.
0: No, we are about to see the uh, complete and utter domination of New Japan and the Wrestling Observer newsletter. We will shift to Drangate now for just a few notes that pertain directly to Drangate USA. I should note, I buried the lead a little bit. I had my notes incorrect last week. We talked about the December 1st Korkin show where Akira Tozawa and BB Hulk won the vacant Twin Gate titles over Kagatora and Susumu Yokosuka. In my mind, Kagatora and Susumu became Jimmys in early 2012, but I was incorrect. As of December 1st, 2011, it is Jimmy Kagatora and Jimmy Susumu. So that is important to note off the bat. And then the Dragon Gate calendar kicks off on January 9th Kobe Sambo Hall. No matches really need to be discussed here, but we did get the rules of what would become a reoccurring theme in 2012 and 2013. The Shima Royale, which was a six-man match. It will start with two competitors as a singles match. Two more will enter in one-minute intervals. For uh, the first ten minutes, two count pinfall rules are in effect. After the 10 minutes are up, it will change to a traditional three-count. Over-the-top rules are in play, and the winner will get to choose a time and place to challenge Shima for the Open the Dreamgate title. And we would see the first one of those on January 15th at the Osaka Prefectural Gymnasium Number 2, where Jimmy Susumu... Defeated Shihiro Tamanaga, Cyber Kong, Dragon Kid, Gamma KZ, Naruki Doi, Shingo Takagi, Stalker Ichikawa, and Super Shenlong to win the first Shima Royale. He would challenge Shima for the Dream Gate Belt on February 5th in Hakata Star Lanes. And we also had a main event of Tozawa and Hulk defending the Twin Gate Belts over Masaki Mochizuki and Masaru Yoshino.
2: So I love the Shima Royale. I think it's such like a cool idea especially for someone that you know i mean this is shima this would be his last Dreamgate gate tile run like it adds a little bit of spice and a little bit of unpredictability to it and it, kind of like when they did like the yoshino lottery when don fuji like said oh i found this ball and they were like no that ball wasn't even in the box like it has my name on it i'm the new challenger <laughs> so like they were able to do interesting stuff about it and You you know, especially given what's going to be happening four days later, it makes sense that Shima would choose this as the way of choosing his partners.
0: Yes, very Shima-esque. Not even from an ego sense, it's just a convoluted idea to get him a world title challenger, and for that we salute him. And then we move to January 19th, Tokyo Corcoran Hall, the last show that we'll discuss here. Mike, I'll run down this full card for you, because it is a fascinating card to look at with eight years of hindsight. The opener was Eita Kobayashi and Yosuke Watanabe defeating Kotoka and Super Shenlong? Don Fuji defeated Shihiro Tamanaga in match number two, and Yashushi Kanda defeated Super Shisa in match number three. We saw the Junction Three tandem of Gamma and Masato Yoshino defeating the unaffiliated Cyber Kong, who was at this point trying to prove himself to Junction Three. We saw Kong and Mochizuki take the fall there. There was an open the triangle gate match with the Blood Warriors team of KZ, Naruki Doi and Tomahawk TT who was fake Naoki Tanazaki starting on this show as Tanazaki would miss about 6 months of action with a shoulder injury so they dressed Tomahawk TT up identical to Naoki Tanazaki and tried to defend the twin gate or the triangle gate belts rather against Kness Kenichiro Rai and Taku Uwasa. This match ended in DQ and after the match Uh, Referee Yagi decided that the belts would be vacant and that they would have to wrestle again to decide the proper champion. And then, Mike, your main event, 10-man tag loser leaves unit match where Junction 3 of Dragon Kid, Jimmy KagaTora, Jimmy Susumu, Shingo Takagi, and Yamato defeated the Blood Warrior side of Akira Tozawa, B.B. Hulk, Shima, Genki Horiguchi, and Ryo Saito after Cyber Kong came out attacked Junction 3 and then attacked Shima, leaking up with Akira Tozawa and BB Hulk and ousting Shima from Blood Warriors.
2: This is the big mutiny. This is the big thing that is like the last major beat in the uh, Blood Warriors-Junction 3 feud until the concluding match. uh, Kong continually playing people. That's kind of been his was his storyline over the last few years was that he would fluctuate so much between units because no one could trust him and that he was just a very kind of like double-handed person in a lot of ways. Like, I mean, he was a reason that, that other units have broken up. He's like, remember, like, they started like Junction 3 by Kong saying that he wouldn't join unless they beat him and then they he beat him and he's like, nope, I'm member of Blood Warriors and he gets kicked out of Blood Warriors. He tries to... Masaki Mochizuki's a fool because he fall, he fall for this like, what, four times? Exactly. It feels like yeah 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 and of course like the big moment of the big turn on shima when they ousted shima one of those like great infinity moments of shima kind of sagging around they picking up the chair smashing it over his head they love to it they love popping out the seat in the the chairs you know like they love doing that in and then getting a a brutal final flash and then pulling kakatora on top of shima expelling him and then you kind of get to see like Shima left lying, and then Don Fuji, his sworn partner, sworn brother, coming to, coming to his aid. And we now are in the final chapter of this feud.
0: So after the match, now I'll read this from the iHeartDG recap. Mochizuki yelled at Kong. Kong called Mochi an old man. Tozawa said they would take the Dream Gate back from the exiled Shima. Horaguchi got in Tozawa's face and questioned their actions. And after some arguing, Tozawa said he wanted to cut to the chase and end Junction 3 next month. The Yoshida style match will return for a 7 versus 7 unit disbands match. And then Junction 3 closed the show by mentioning that Rich Swan would be back next month, but Pac isn't returning their emails. And Mike, before you sound off on that eventful post match, I will say that the final note we have from Japan is that a few days later in KBS Hall, Doi, Kanda, and Kong defeated Mochizuki Yoshino and Gamma in a loser-leaves-unit match. And so Gamma left Junction 3 weeks before uh, the final unit disbands match between the two units.
2: Yeah, yeah, and this is one that happened because Gamma was hurt, I believe. Yes, he had a neck injury. Like that. Yeah, yeah, so this is one that does not really play into the immediate after-effects of this feud, but this Yoshida-style elimination match, 7 versus 7, we'll talk about this more when we move towards Mania Weekend next week, but... What a time! What one of the big matches of the last decade of Dragon Gate, and just like setting this up here, like seven versus seven elimination tag rules, where it's the Yoshida style, so you're able. There's no loser revive here, so it's just basically you pin and you're out, and everyone just kind of coming down to like this great conclusion in the match and then the post match stuff. Like this is, this will be we'll be doing like the last big change and big unit shift, other than like smaller units as coming out of this match as Blood Warriors and Junction 3 is going to be coming to a close.
0: Before, and I promise you we will open the Golden Gate in just a minute, but before we do that, it was a Wrestle Reunion weekend, and we do need to look at the scene happening in Southern California this weekend, because there was a Wrestle Reunion show and a PWG card as well, and I will ever so quickly run down both of those, starting with the Wrestle Reunion show brought on by Pro Wrestling Superstars, that saw Adam Page defeat, or I'm sorry, Adam Page wrestle Eric Royal to a no contest in the opener. Mick Foley was the special guest referee for the New Age Outlaws versus the Steiner Brothers in a match that I'm sure was just absolutely horrific. There was a European rules match, however, that sounds much better between Fit Finlay. And Colt Cabana, I would like to go back and rewatch that. That sounds good. The Unholy Alliance of Mikey Whipwreck and Yoshihiro Tajeri defeated Caleb Conley and Cedric Alexander. The show-stealing match of maybe the entire weekend, Masquerita Dorada defeated Demas 316, Kevin Steen went over on Tommy Dreamer in a street fight, and Roderick Strong went over on Jake Manning. Before your two real main events of the evening, Davey Richards defeating Harry Smith, and El Generico and the Great Sasuke defeating the Young Bucks. Mike, have you seen any footage from this show?
2: You know what? This is a show that I know in 2012, was like, you know, this is weird enough for me to watch, but I think it just got lost in the morass of trying to find everything else. You know, like, I wanted to go see that European rules match. Like, that seems like that's a really cool thing. I wonder, Wrestle Reunion, this was not, this, this was put on by Highspots, yes, right? Yes, this was on the High was Spots it? Network. I might go seek this out the next time that, like, I have a quiet time and, like, I want to watch something different. Yeah. Just because, like—especially, like, the Demas 316 thing.
0: That was—that like, that, that, that match is incredible. Uh, I mean, obviously, Masquerita Dorada got signed eventually, I think, just because Naylor was yelling up such a storm in Florida that they had to do something to shut him up. But the European Rules match is a lot of fun. The Minis match is a lot of fun. I like Davey versus Harry quite a bit, and then the Generico Sasuke versus Young Bucks match— While it isn't spectacular, it is a really fitting sort of showcase style of match. Well, I mean, you're dealing with Sasuke at that time. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we also had PWG's Kurt Russell Reunion 3 on January 29th, 2012. I love this show so much, but I do have... A small critique with it, as I'll explain as we go down the card. But the fightin' Taylor boys of Brian Cage, Taylor, and Ryan Taylor defeated Chris Cadillac and Famous B in the opener. Jimmy Susumu defeated BB Hulk, and the Young Bucks defeated Davey Richards and Harry Smith. There was a match where future Drangate alumni Willie Mack defeated Naruki Doi in twelve minutes. That match is a ton of fun, as is that that match rules. Yeah, that, that match is, rolls. Look, Willie Mack in twenty twelve, what just what a a blissful joyful wrestler and it's crazy to think that he didn't break out in a big way after all of the great matches he had that year yeah
2: it's that plus having naruki toy the uh the, the person who understands territory wrestling better than anyone else in 2012. Like, it's just the blast of a match.
0: There was an eight-man with B-Boy Candice LeRae, Cedric Alexander, and Masquerita Dorada defeating Demas 316, Joey Ryan, Peter Avalon, and Ray Rosas. Mike, the the result of this match yep. still blows me away to this day. The Rocknest Monsters, Johnny Goodtime and Johnny Yuma, defeated the Spike Mohicans of Shima and Ricochet. Can you believe that?
2: And it's even something where, like, hey, I understand that Rockness Monsters were like kind the house tag team; they were the so-called tag team that was around at this time. But come on, <laughs> come on! <laughs> L- L- uh, Shima must have been in a really good mood. Oh, I like, sure got seriously. a nice check for
0: that for that loss. Uh,
2: do you think he really got a nice check for that loss? Uh, probably, I mean, I'll- the, the
0: Super Dragon will pay one man and one man only, and that man is Shima. There we go. I mean, he is a former Bell Los Angeles. champion. Exactly. And the semi main event, Masaki Mochizuki defeated Roderick strong in the main event. Six man dream match. El Generico, Masadi Yoshino and Pac defeated Akira Tozawa, Kevin Steen and super dragon. And my one complaint about this show is that this is one of the best matches in the history of the U S Indies. If this six man happened in Reseda, it is a five star match without a shadow of a doubt. But the crowd is just not hot enough for this match, and it kills me because I love this match so much, and I don't think the people in attendance appreciated the match as much as they should have.
2: Oh, not not as much as they should have. I mean, it's, it's the Midnight Violence Collection appetite, or it's the appetite for the Midnight Violence Collection. I think that's what they, connection, I think that's what they ended up calling it. And just like a wild match, I mean... A lot of people like will forget, but El Generico really got his international start in Dragon Gate. So like he's familiar with mo- he's familiar with all these guys. He's kind of the glue of this match in a way. Oh yeah. And and it, I, I mean like the top two matches on the show like it's a shame that the that you had the crowd that everyone hated. Everyone hated the West End that they did this at. Like notably, like Excalibur was bearing it throughout the show. Like it's it it, it seemed like it was a very weird weekend
0: yeah that is that is one way to say it in a very weird show as 50 minutes into this podcast we are finally ready to open the golden gate 2012
2: all right so let's do this again this is open the golden gate 2012 this is from the Weston los angeles airport hotel los angeles california listed attendance was 550 don't have a solid number here but did not look like 550 to me Looked that looks like that's a that's a uh dragon gate number i'm guessing it was probably about 350 or so would you say that's a safe bet yeah 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 it just was one of the things like this and then just like overall like i wanted to get into this program the show itself
1: very in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we hype ourselves up thinking maybe i can pull a Ken Griffey junior rookie card but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates it's all just a shot in the dark until now Off again, that's arena club.com/slash VOW net, arena club.com/slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of the Wrestling Podcast Network.
2: Pretty like interesting vibe on this show, like it felt this show more so than like any other shows they've had before. Did you get like I got a huge vibe of like this was like a, like a spot show in a way? Like this felt like a spot show, and and other than like the things that tied in towards the end, it felt like it was almost completely out of continuity, or it started a new continuity for DGUSA. Was that just like my overreading thing?
0: Um, I I'm gonna disagree slightly because I think had Rich Swan showed up, the Bucks versus Ronan match would have been some sort of story. They had been teasing Dorian Yoshino interactions throughout most of 2011. Fox versus Callahan was an ongoing story Pac versus Tozawa was a rematch and then you had the storyline implications of the main event so for me it was a continuation from Freedom Fight
2: It just like maybe that is for me that like because only one third of Ronin was there because it was just Sammy Callahan it did kind of feel like at least like the local or United States based like talent seems to be a little bit less so here and instead you have Matches that for all intents and purposes, you have one, two, uh, the last three of the last four matches on the show were basically or, or three of the last five matches on the show were completely like Dragon Gate related, you know, and then you had like other stuff going on that felt kind of like WrestleMania weekendy to me. It's not I, yeah, bad well.
0: I think that is fair. I think it it actually feels like a WrestleMania weekend type card, even if it's not a WrestleMania show. But I also think that is partially just going to a territory where they had not been before, branching out from the Northeast and the Midwest. And because of that, there's a there was a bit of a feeling out process there. But as we go along in this show, I was a huge fan of pretty much everything.
2: No, I I'm I'm with you on that. That we we start off the show with a video recapping what we talked about earlier. That that we have the DGUSA and Evolve Union, and that leads us straight into the opening matchup. Loki defeating BB Hulk in 10 minutes and 50 seconds with the Warrior Way, and we're now in the Loki era. Gabe and Loki have patched things up. We now have the World Warrior and DGUSA.
0: Look, I fucking love Loki, and I'll say the F word when I say it, okay? He is seemingly an impossible person to be around, a very dumb guy, but one of my favorite wrestlers ever. And and I am probably a bigger fan of post-prime low-key than most. I think he had a match with Sammy Callahan a few years ago at AAW that is one of the best matches in AAW history. It's really up there as like a top five match of all time. Key and Hulk came out here, and with the exception of maybe the Evolve shows that Brian Danielson worked, I think had a more authentic Evolve match than anything else in the promotions yeah. history. Like, this this was like a battle arts transplant match happening on the opening of a Gate USA show, and I loved it. I thought this was such a great way to start the show.
2: Yeah, and it was, like, so interesting because you had Loki on his most Loki bullshit, just kind of, like, steamrolling, and then every once in a while you could tell that BB Hulk like was a little tight, saying like, "Come on, dude! <laughs> well, come on, dude! I
0: mean, Key goes over BB <laughs> Hulk here, and this is Hulk who steamrolled Clean. through the Summer Adventure Tag League. Was really for the first time in his career like a legitimate main eventer. Uh, One half the open the Twin Gate Champions, and Key destroys him. And I know that annoyed people at the time, and rightfully so. But I am Team Loki, and I am okay with this.
2: And it's something with how. If it was just this and then things weren't followed up on, I feel like everyone would been completely justified. But there were ways that things were going to go. Uh, Gabe and Loki's relationship would remain okay long enough to, ha- to go through some of these routes. So I was okay if it. It was something that, like, BB Hulk didn't even go for, like, a single EVO, didn't even make a play for the first Flash. It was just, like, a kick battle that eventually... Loki won the kick battle and went with the Warrior Way and won. I thought this was a blast of a start, and... It's something that I'm certainly. I was one of those guys in 2012, but just like watching back, at this, this this was like a fun match. Like it very much. This was like the most WrestleMania weekend feeling match, and the match that comes after this. But I ended up having a good time with this. I went three and a quarter stars on this. Like it, it's hard for this match for me with the way it is to like go higher, but I had a thoroughly great time watching this match.
0: Three and three quarters, Mike. I am going to be much higher on all of the low key stuff that we watched than you because I really think. He is just, oh my God, he's so good. And we'll get into it, I think, especially on the Miami shows. I There is a part of me that will continue to defend Key for the way he handles himself. Because I ultimately think I would rather have a wrestling industry with more low-keys than Ethan Page's and Effie's. And I know that's not a popular stance, but Key protects his image and protects himself. And because of that, whenever this man is in the ring... I fear for his opponent's life
2: no that's fair that's fair I, I i it's something that like it has a different and very like needed vibe that's like added to this promotion that very much like dave actually reviews this show and talks about this a promotion that's like lost a lot of steam and i can't disagree with that but having someone like low-key coming in like this and the young bucks coming in right after this was like a much needed breath of fresh air with how 2011 ended absolutely and then after that, uh, Ricochet is wondering what's up with Blood Warriors. This is a big plot point on the story. But Shima says, "Oh, the match, the match with Focus on our match later, and is very cagey." It's worth noting that Ricochet was not in Japan when the breakup happened. Yes, when he was kicked. Very out. Very important. So some some things in this that I feel like they did a great job, and is one of the things that I was watching this the series in the context of. I wanted to see how well they were able to really. Mo- meld what's going on in Japan what's going on here some places they didn't do such a great job of but just like having a th- quick 30 second thing with that i felt like was pretty important and i i liked that they were willing to do that
0: so i once heard gabe in an interview say that he found it incredibly hard to book during the blood warriors versus junction 3 time period because everyone was in one of two units but i thought that would be a benefit for him he wouldn't have to worry oh, about sure. you know Getting guys from Warriors and World One on the same show was kind of like, well, you can put Pac and Yamato in the same match, like they're on the same they're in the same unit. I don't think that example ever happened, but you get my point. And it just it surprised me. When he said that because it, it would seem like such a benefit and it's not like he's booking Gamma or Cyber Kong or these guys that are bouncing in and out of units. He was booking right. the top guys that were affiliated from day one until the unit disbanded with the same unit. So it was weird for me to hear Gabe complain about that once because I thought that would be such a benefit to him. And I thought he did a really good job keeping continuity of Blood Warriors and Junction 3.
2: And on top of that, like... You only have two sides here. You're not like dealing with like, uh, like uh, World One, uh, uh, Real Hazard. You're not dealing with warriors. You're not dealing with like everything and trying to figure things out here. You have two sides, and you could even make it even more simple because you have Rich Swan who could be the bridge between uh, Junction Three and Ronin, so they're basically one side. And you could probably do something with Duf putting them on Blood Warrior side, like like you could even simplify this even more. So like I don't get that and. The only major person that major player that he was not booking at the time was Shingo. Yeah. So, like, and Shingo was like Junction the, 3
0: the entire time. So, it would have made a difference.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, I felt like that, that was, and that was something that I was wondering about when we started watching 2011. Is it would have been easier if they said, like, that Ronin were Junction 3 affiliates? And I don't think they needed to. Like, that was something that I thought, like, in January, like, how is this going to play out watching January 2011? Didn't need to. Maybe it would have helped DUF more if they were Blood Warriors affiliates you know
0: possibly but i still maintain i like the way duf has been presented thus far
2: yeah no no i mean blood maybe they would make more sense as mad blankie affiliates but we'll get into that when we get into very that. soon so very soon very soon then we have coming out to the ring is chuck taylor he is by his lonesome because he addresses that rich swan has missed his plane flight and then he said he, he's willing to face one of the jacksons have a one-on-one match matt jackson comes out they say that they are rub they are rock stars and they are, they don't do singles matches. They come here for the young bucks and they'll see the young bucks. So then they jump on and it's like, we'll make this a handicap match. And soon enough, then Scorpio sky comes out, making the save, setting up young bucks versus Chuck Taylor and Scorpio sky. And decent way of booking themselves out of the rich swan situation. And I know that the rich swan situation is one of the more like contentious times in this promotion.
0: Yeah. We talked to some people that worked this show and it made us count our blessings for the future rich swan matches that we'll get because Gabe was fully ready to fire rich swan after this. And we've talked Really, since Swan debuted, about how we feel like Gabe really undervalued him and didn't push him enough. And there are shows, you know, where he gets squashed by Brody Lee. And it's like, well, what's the point of that? This guy's supposed to be one of your future building blocks. And after Swan missed his flight here, I mean, thank God it wasn't the Ronan six man tag uh, that Swan missed. It was just the altered tag match. But still, that's a big opportunity. Of Chuck Taylor and what would have been Rich Swan against the Young Bucks, the Bucks who are working in Ring of Honor but without a contract at this time, working Chikara, working PWG. This was a really big match, but Swan was not there. But honestly, I thought Scorpio Sky was terrific in this match. So for as much as I like Swan, it his absence wasn't felt greatly in this contest.
2: Yeah, yeah. So the Young Bucks won in 12 minutes with more bang on your more bang for your buck on Swan. I like this match a whole lot. I thought that it was something that they did They did make this into. The Bucks are he- were heels at this time in California, so they-, they really played that up, and very much like a proto-Bucks match that you would be seeing much later on in the decade. And you're absolutely right. I thought Scorpio Sky looked great here. Like I'm surprised, other than like the price of a plane flight, that Gabe wouldn't be like, okay, you're. I-, I want you now on the roster, because he looked great. He hit his crazy taupe where he clears the, the ring with like the most high I've seen out of, basically everyone by Dragon Dia, and he's and he fits in and him and Chuck Taylor have good chemistry and it's turned up to be a really fun tag match. I want three and a half stars on it.
0: I'm right at three and a half as well. I think that is the, the definition of this match is a three and a half star match. All four guys worked really well together. I love when Chuck Taylor puts on his work rate hat and works really hard against a team like the Young Bucks. And the other thing that that stood out to me watching this show was, you know, the Bucks are on a show now with Loki and with AR Fox and Sammy Callahan and John Davis. If you look at the last GGUSA shows that the Young Bucks worked, Mike, this is a show with TJP versus Brad Allen and Jack Evans and Jimmy Jacobs versus Brian Ketrick and Paul London. John Moxley versus Tommy Dreamer. I mean, they missed an entire era, if not two, and the time they were gone and then they felt right back at home when they worked this match.
2: They did and I think it maybe helped with someone that they already like would have worked Chuck Taylor a lot. They would have worked uh Scorpio Sky a ton and it felt like they didn't like miss a step whatsoever. And there was like even like little like little things where Scorpio tried to fight out uh the Finley roll and the more bang for your buck that made this like finish look extra good. Like it was something that usually when you see the more bang for your buck, you're like, Okay, Finley roll, four fifty, moonsault, we're out of here. But it actually put a little bit of doubt that you could think for like a second Maybe this isn't enough to put away Scorpio Sky, and it's great to see the Bucks back. Like, this is something that the tag team division desperately needed at this time.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, and it's, a, it's a bummer that they stick around, but not in the immediate future. It takes about another year for them to come back and be full-time with Dragon Gate USA.
2: Yes, yes. I think it was announced before the show that even though they're back here, they will not be on the Dragon Gate USA shows in Miami. They'll be working the Ring of Honor. Unfortunately. It, so... Unfortunately, boy, that, that'll be a fun conversation to have in a couple weeks, by the way. <laughs> All right, so then we have, we cut backstage. It is uh, John Davis saying that he's going to establish sonnets and building off of Evolve 10 where he called out Fit Finley. He said he hoped Finn Finley was watching. And then we had probably the most peculiar music choice they ever had for a music video, as it was Chasing the Dragon, one of the sleeper hits of 2011, is now on DVD in case... Was I the one who thought, like, this music just did not fit whatsoever? Like, it felt, it was, like, folksy music happening as, like, and it went on forever for this, like, this music video.
0: More so than the music, I'm just amazed at how long these DVD video packages are, because it's not, it's not like the PWG previews where it's, like, five minutes long and there's, it's worth it, but it's not a teaser. It's a very awkward (laughs) length of a preview. It, It makes me kind of uncomfortable every single time they show one
2: yeah 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 it's just wild the fact that 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 they would have this and you know i mean it's something that it, it eats up a lot of time on the show that even though the show felt really breezy like you could cut out about 15 minutes of videos that are completely unnecessary you know like it's it's just and it's the thing i brought up at the beginning that do they really need a net to advertise for the people that are the the big fans that are buying every show anyways like that's always gonna be a thing oh wait no indianapolis was not on pay-per-view Indianapolis was only a DVD release yes So okay never mind never mind I'm wrong there my bad uh, then uh, we have a singles match Masato Ushino versus Naruki Doi and it was Masato Ushino winning with the Sol nasi and Kai in 16 minutes and 7 seconds and we got something that is very charming in retrospect as all during this match in the slow periods, we had Lenny Leonard shouting out Jay and I heart DG talking about the history of Masato Yoshino and Naruki Doi. I ended up really liking this match as well.
0: I This match was awesome. This is not their best singles match together, but weirdly it might be their most uh, penetrable or accessible singles match because it was all yeah. actions. I mean, it's like a TV match that Doi and Yoshino worked here and you're right uh, in the, Drangit USA Newswires, Jay did a big write up of the history between these two, and it was nice to see Lenny give him a plug there. And, you know, eight years later, they're working together on commentary, which is a nice thing to see. Mike, are you aware that this is the last Naruki Doi match in Drangit USA history?
2: No. I love territory champion Naruki Doi.
0: Why? Why? This is something, especially after Miami. We are going to be keeping tabs on these guys that just disappear because, you know, Shingo has been gone for a while, but Shingo will come back. Dragon Kid, uh, his run is up after the United weekend at the start of 2011, and then you get into this point where there was somebody, I believe, on the last set of shows uh, that worked their final weekend. Maybe not, but now you've got Doi coming up on his finale, Yoshino and... Well, Brody Lee.
2: Brody Brody
0: Lee is done, and you know, you've got Doy done Doy's done here. Yoshino and Hulk are coming up on their exits, Yamato's almost done. So these you know, staples of the promotion are leaving very soon, and there's just no Japanese talent coming in to restock that pond. So we'll really start to see the transformation from Dragon Gate USA into Evolve Light as we go along in 2012. But I thought this match, for what it was, was three and a half stars and a very, very efficient match. I really like this.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's something where these two guys have had 12 matches throughout Dragon Gate history. I'm not going to look back into second DOI. Just, just gonna say in Dragon Gate history they've had 12 matches and it's a matchup that like has been put ever since like matches that have happened since then case just for a second open the Dream Gate title match at Otis City Gymnasium in 2018 Cork and Hall for King of Gate 2016 Bodymaker won in Osaka in 2013 Cork and Hall in, in 2013 uh, Kobe Sambo Hall this is a match that and then looking like behind it fukuoka basically the only place this match did not happen was in uh, in aichi nagoya and in kobe kenen hall like this is like one of the big matches and you know it's one of the ones that it's not it's not as good as like their dre their dream or brave gate matches that they would have but it's i think i like it more than their 2016 uh, uh, king of gate match I think that this is a better match than this. And I went three and a half as well. And it was something that's very interesting to me that across their career, 12 singles matches, when we talked about like Masato Yoshino and Akira Sawa not having very many singles matches, they, they went to this wall a lot. And it's very interesting the way they played off. They did go three years without a match between 2013 and 2016.
0: I like between this match and the Yoshino versus Shima match on the prior show, just the different style that Yoshino brought to the table. One that I think if he had to work on a more weekly televised weekly basis, we'd see more from him where it was a high effort style, but not really high intensity, if that makes sense. I mean, he was working smarter, not harder, and produced some really good matches out of it. I really liked seeing this different side of Yoshino on these prior two shows.
2: Yeah, and I think it worked really well with, as I've called the Territorial Star, uh, Naruki Doi. Like, the two of them kind of came together, and this is a match that very easily could have been the main event of, like, your of like your territory in the 80s. Like, their big, like, quarterly show. Like, that's what this match has kind of worked like, right? Like, you could see this along the same lines of when, like, Ric Flair would come into world class and have a match with Von Eric. Like, that's kind of, like, the style I would have put this the dragon system style of that and i feel like it worked really well and it's something especially now in 2020 I, I think i've said this before the ude yushino is one of my favorite moves i know he absolutely can't pull off anymore but whenever i see it i write down ude yushino because it's such a sweet move and i was happy to see it here and i went three and a half stars as well this was a whole lot of fun
0: uh, my one other note of this match is you mentioned that move i really liked the Sol nascente kai finish that they did here where it seemed like Yoshino really had to fight to hook the leg that he does, that extra little maneuver on the submission to get Doi to the mat to get him to tap. It was just an extra struggle there that I don't typically see from Yoshino. And again, I, I really like this. I like seeing this version of Yoshino that is just rarely present just because of the pace that he normally works at.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it's something that I wish, uh, like, the, during this time period, if the Soul Naciente worked, he would then hook the legs with the Kai, and that would be it. I like that as, like, oh, this did not work there. So it's one of those things that it developed kind of like a super finish. But in the same way, it puts you more invested in the first old Naciente. And then the second one, you're like, is he going to hook the leg? Is he going to go for the Kai here? And it's something that I like, would miss because you just now get to a point where he locks it in three times, and that usually does, does the trick. I like, like, the stepping it up that we had with that.
0: Absolutely. Well, Mike, what's going on with Larry Dallas in the scene?
2: Well, Larry Dallas in the scene have a problem. And you know what that problem is, case What's that, Mike? The problem is is that Scott Reed won't get out of the dang hot tub. <laughs> Here, and that's all that I have in my notes is is Scott Reed refuses to leave the hot tub.
0: Good for Scott Reed. Good good for him. He doesn't need to work this show. He's relaxing. This scene is going to Hollywood, and I love to see it.
2: The Hollywood scene. The Hollywood absolute. scene. The Hollywood scene. And then we had Air Fox. He's mad that Sammy ran through Sabu at the last Evolve show, so now he's going to go against is go against uh, Sammy Callahan, revisiting that feud, and I thought that that was... You know, for not a strong promo guy, Zayar Fox is not a great promo. I feel like that this was actually a pretty effective one from him.
0: Well, then it led straight into a match that... uh, I don't know about you, but this Sammy uh, Callahan versus AR Fox match made me hate Sabu so much.
2: Yeah, because this match was
0: so good. Oh my god, it was great. And it's just... After the Midwest is like, okay, we're really gonna do Sabu again. After the Northeast, are you kidding me? This is the AR Fox show. This is the AR Fox feud. Oh, this match was great. Take it away, Mike.
2: So this was originally an everything goes match. Now it is a tables match where Air Fox lost to Sammy Callahan in ten minutes with a power bomb through the outside. And boy, were they just like going at it from the start. Uh, Air Fox like dives on a Tope Suicida and lands dead onto a barricade that looked like it was terrible that looked like it was terrible and then like the the table match table matches usually suck like just in general table matches suck but instead there's like oh we're just going to murder each other and then we'll finally put one of us one of each other through a table and it's a table that was pretty much like busted from the get-go so they had to get pretty inventive with it they used a lot of barricades they used the table around it and finished with Sammy Callahan on the outside picking up A.R. Fox and throwing him through the table and his head hitting the back of the barricade. Uh, It's something where this is like a three and a quarter, three and a half star tables match, but when you consider like the whole scope of tables matches, that probably makes this one of the top ten table matches of all time.
0: The intensity that Sammy Callahan possessed at this point in his career, like I I just I've been in love with rewatching this era of Sammy because it, it made me It kind of validated my opinion that pre-Solomon Crow era Sammy Callahan was awesome. And I thought that way when he was signed in 2013. And I'm glad that all of this stuff still holds up because he is really a breath of fresh air in this company. We've talked about how well he's worked with the Japanese talent, whether it's Tozawa or Mochizuki or Doi. And seeing him here in what has been a really hyped, almost year-long feud with AR Fox at this point... And they worked it as such. They worked with an intensity and a pace that was needed to fit this feud with, you know, Fox jumping him at the bell, doing a springboard 450 to the floor, which is a really nasty move. I mean, it's just it just looks painful. You see... Uh, Fox at one point set up the guardrail in between the barrier and the apron. He did a somersault Ugh. senton onto that, or he did a kickflip onto the guardrail, and then Sammy Callahan came right back and power bombed him from the ring onto that guardrail before power bombing him into the table for the finish. I went four stars flat, Mike. I, this is the exact type of intensity that I, I wish Sammy Callahan still worked at because I really love this match.
2: It's just uh, something that it's. In intensity it's at a clip like this is not a match over state. it's welcome they went at it for 10 minutes and that was it and they were able to like kind of get off like this like if this was the blow off match for that feud I'll be like you know what this feud actually worked now it's distilled down to like the two main actors in it you know it's just something that like you see this and it does get you like so pissed about 2011 with Sabu because like they didn't need him to begin with it just was Gabe being fixated on Sabu I hate it but I love this match.
0: The only the only other tables match that I can think of that is even on the same level as this is Royal Rumble 2000 Hardy Boys versus the Dudleys. I think if we're talking straight tables matches, that's the only one in competition. And and if I'm missing one, please let me know. Tweet at us at Open VoiceGate with your favorite tables matches of all time. But I really think this is an upper echelon match for a gimmick that is largely terrible.
2: Yeah, no, it, it, it's doing it's so case you know that one of the promotions i've really gotten into and over covid is one that's it's not necessarily in your neck of the woods but it's in your general area it's paradigm pro wrestling yes and i've gone into it it's a very kind of charming promotion in a lot of ways it does it 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 is something that is completely uh weird because it does like hardcore like iwa mid-south hardcore but at the same time They also, like, do UWFI. And they did this match that was called, like, the Portals of Pain match, which was best out of seven, either through doors and tables. And it just was, like, kind of a mess where, like, they had to call off the last table and restart the match. Like, it's such a low level of how much, like, bad table matches and door matches that there are that when you see one that's, like, it's brutally work, but it simply worked. And you're, like, this is a stipulation that does makes no sense whatsoever. Why should there ever be a table match to begin with? Like, makes no sense whatsoever. But when you like you see it work like this way, you're like, okay, this actually was a good time.
0: Four stars. Four stars on the dot for me. Sammy Callahan continues to really impress.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then we had a long WWN live promo, which cut to Susumu. uh, Sorry, Jimmy Susumu. I I caught myself. Yeah, Jimmy Susumu is the
0: era of the Jimmy, Mike.
2: The era of the Jimmy is here. As is Jimmy Sasumu and Masaki Mochizuki. Masaki Mochizuki brings up that he lost that final gate, dropped the Open the dream gate title to Shima, and that they're going to come back to Japan as the opening night United Gate champions. Again, when they want to let the guys do promos and subtitle it's always generally pretty solid. Like it was like a, an effective promo.
0: I have no complaints with it.
2: Yeah. And then we get into John Davis versus Caleb Conley. And the big news coming out of this match Larry Dallas has been granted a WWN manager's license. He is out there with his boy, uh, Caleb Conley.
0: Obviously a Cardinal sin. <laughs> I,
2: I, I mean, it's something where it gave uh, Chuck Taylor and Lenny Leonard stuff to talk about in commentary.
0: You know? Look, I, I, you know, I've talked a lot about how much I like the DUF in hindsight. The scene up to this point, now things could change, but the scene has not bothered me at all because I think Conley and Reed have been used sparingly and Conley's about a year away I think from really turning the corner, and becoming who at one point he was one of my favorite guys on the indies. But this is the John Davis show, and Davis looked good, and that's all I care about. Established dominance, baby,
2: and he did establish dominance. We don't even have a match time on this with cage match, but John Davis won with the three seconds around the world. Went a little long, like this was something that they it did show off. Like Caleb Conley trying to fight back a little bit more than I would want against John Davis, but solid John Davis match. He still is establishing dominance and. As of the Week of the Collective, I am so excited about being able to see John Davis this weekend.
0: It's, I, just watching these shows, I can't believe he wasn't signed to FCW. It doesn't make any sense. That's like, I I mean, he's like the poster child for, I think, what they're looking for from the indies. Like, Not Overexposed was primarily working the Florida scene. This big dude with a good look who could work, who could move, who could lift weights. Like, I don't. I don't get it. He's tailor-made for late-stage FCW. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And he's able to, like, work different styles matches. And he's just someone that maybe it is that he got so connected in with Gabe in the Florida indie scene that he never had, like, the big opportunity afterwards to, like, stick around somewhere, which, you know, with, with all, like, the trials and tribulations of him being in WN, him leaving WN, don't necessarily blame him. But they've done, like, at least, like, through, like the first, like, few months of this I've completely, like, the past where I did not like John Davis was a false (laughs) pass. I now established dominance. I'm looking forward to to, For the Culture, him versus Calvin Tankman. Let's go. That is one of my, like, it's very simple. Like, John Davis is, like, and and the way you book John Davis is so simple, and and Gabe's getting that. Like, you have him come in here, he wrecks shop, maybe the guy fights back a little bit, but then he puts him up on his shoulders, spins him around, powerbombs him, and gets out of here. And that was my only complaint, is that this match went too long until him just destroying him. So, loved it.
0: Yeah, I, it's it's the weakest match on the show, but it was an effective match, so I can't complain about it.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it, it's one of those things not to get, not to pull a lands and do a full treatise on star ratings, that it's a two-and-a-half-star match, but it's, but, it's, but it's supposed to be, like, at most a three-star match.
0: Yeah, I had to right so, at 2 and 3 was, quarters, so we are going to meet in the middle there.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we go backstage, the Unbucks are there. They say that they are rock stars and they're into the United Gate titles this is going to heel bucks which actually means this is a somewhat decent promo from them don't think they're good babyface promos whatsoever and uh you know we won't see them again for a while but they're they want to come back and win the united gate titles
0: and then mike pak versus akira tozawa the rematch
2: pak versus akira tozawa the rematch where akira tozawa defeats pak with the capture german suplex in 16 minutes four and a quarter stars just some of the stuff that somehow in this promotion, at least in DGUSA, USA, they managed to bloody each other in a way, and it kind of takes the, each of the guys kind of feed off of bleeding and going to the next level. Kira Tozawa is like busted in the eyebrow, has blood dripping down. He starts drinking his own blood, and then it's, it finally like kind of like scabs up. But I absolutely love this match. Pack was my 2011 Dragon Gate USA MVP, showed up on seven of my top 10 matches, and picks up right from there. And here, and Tozawa gets the big pin on the guy who. Just about this time last year, he was losing two in Bravegate matches. So, so Tozawa is continuing to step up and step up, and he's looking forward in 2012 to have a lot of big matches in DGUSA.
0: You know, I watched this match with my roommate, which I don't like to do, but uh, we had finished up Monday Night Football last night, and... He, I was like, ah, I gotta go watch other for the podcast tomorrow. I was like, well, what what put it out here? Like, what do you watch? I was like, ah, you don't it's no, you don't want to do that. He's like, No, 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 bring it out. So it was this match, it was Pac versus Tozawa, and I watched it with someone who had no knowledge of either of these two men. Someone who's watched wrestling in the past, but not in years, and doesn't know anything about the current scene. And Sure. He was blown away by Kirtozawa. The the flipping of Pac didn't do a ton for him, but Tozawa's charisma and the repeated sentons that he did, and the machine gun chops, followed by the punch to the face. He lost his mind for that spot. He was all about that. And I think because he was watching the match so closely, I found myself watching this match incredibly closely, more so than I typically do. And I'm someone that's very focused when I watch these shows. But by the end of this, I was just enthralled with this match in this almost King's Road-esque pace that they worked, because the first few minutes of the match are really slow. I mean, they really take their time getting into it, and it seems like once Pac does the uh, top rope moonsault to the floor where he half his body lands on the guardrail and it looks like he's dead, from that moment on, <laughs> the match really picks up in a way where the pace that these two work to close things out is just unmatched. I mean, this is... You want to talk about best wrestlers in the world. This is it. This is at USA Get Into It, because this is top-notch professional wrestling by two of the best guys of the past decade. Two guys that can work circles around anyone. Pac is as a, a victim of global circumstances, and Tozawa is currently a victim of creative incompetence, and it's a damn shame, because these two have only gotten better, I think, since this match. I went four and a half with it. I I loved this. I loved this whole show. I love this match, though.
2: It's just like something where these two guys, like in 2020, the match would be excellent. Imagine 2016 uh, Akira Tozawa versus Adrian Neville.
0: I mean, imagine be like the. It would be, I mean, can you imagine 2021 Pac? Or I guess we're in 2020 still. Ugh. I guess, you know, 2020 Pac versus, you know, if we could get 2016 Akira Tozawa or close to it, it'd be unbelievable.
2: Oh, God. Imagine if. We had in Dragon Gate right now, we still had Pac in R.E.D., and then you had Akira Tozawa as the number one in, in the uh, Dragon Gate army because he would have been the number one. Like That's just matter of fact there with how they've treated Yamato. They would have had basically Pac, uh, they would have Pac versus that. Like Imagine that as like a Kobe world match.
0: Uh, I'd be like, more like, than happy to. That sounds absolutely give, wonderful.
2: Giving these two guys h- half an hour it could have been truly special because like they do like little things like there's they've scouted each other so well that you have the fact that Akira Tozawa goes for the repeated uh, tope suicidas and on this for on the second one pack's like nope he's gonna keep on doing this if I don't stop him he catches him into a northern light throw onto the floor and then proceeds to almost kill his ankles I I don't know like does he have metal feet do we think that pack has metal feet or metal shins Because he does that so much throughout the years. I'm I'm wondering, like, you have to have, like, some crazy calcified chins.
0: Mike, he's built different. That's as simple as this man is built different.
2: Yeah, this is uh, a—this match is the good stuff. And it is something that on a show that, you know, if you're able to find it, go check this match out. Because uh, the two matches that these two guys have had so far—singles matches have been excellent— up opposite of each other, like, some people just have innate chemistry, and it's Akira Tozawa and Pac. Like, like those are, like, two people that are, like, no matter what, these two guys are having great matches. I... I even remember, like, early kamikaze Akira Tozawa and Pac having great exchanges. You know... They just work. They just work.
0: The, the last time these two wrestled in a singles match, Mercury Rising 2011, Pac got busted open right by his eye, and in this match, Tozawa got cut open right by his eye, too. Right. So it's just a nice little... A nice little moment there. Some accidental blood goes a long way. in what will surely be a match that finishes in my Dragon at USA top 10 by the end of 2012.
2: I uh, I'm with you there. Like this is this is a nice high watermark, but for me it was immediately exceeded by the next match oh, as well, a new I'm so high watermark. Oh, we're on mark. the same
0: page. Like, take it away, Mike.
2: It is the Open the United Gate Champions as Ricochet representing Blood Warriors and the new Open the Brave Gate Champion Teaming up with his United Gate champion partner, no longer of Blood Warriors. He is unaffiliated. He is the Open the Dream Gate champion Shima. Together they are the sparked Mohicans. Defeat the Junction 3 team of Masaki Mochizuki and Jimmy Susumu. And not only is this match like a tremendous match. Not only is this match uh, four guys that go for 25 minutes at like that the top of their top of their art. But the way that they, like, told the story in this match and the way that they weave in things of, like, Shima just got kicked out of Blood Warriors. Ricochet, it seems like he just discovered it this day. I mean, Chuck Taylor in commentary did not know what was up with Shima until Lenny later. was like, oh, yeah, no, they kicked him out. Tozawa and Hulk kicked him out. And it's like, oh, okay. And then you have Masaki, mother-effing Mochizuki, one of the five best wrestlers alive right now, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time in both of our approximations. Just being excellent and then that's not even like the big star of this match here as the finishing stretch was shima and jimmy susumu jimmy susumu goes for a jumbo nokachi gadame that does not work then he gets the swine he gets like his crazy face buster gets put out with the meteor in 24 minutes and four seconds the spike mohicans retain case how awesome was this match
0: you know i, I just I, there's so much to like about this match i mean the intensity of Shima, the work rate of Susumu, and I should note that, you know, we we knock Shima's ego all the time, but Shima took so much offense in this match. He was great, Susumu was great, the effort of Mochizuki and Ricochet within their own partnerships was terrific, but what I really loved in this match was seeing the interactions between Mochizuki and Ricochet Two guys that never had a singles match. Two guys that never really had a high-profile, you know, tag match or a program. Really, I think they're best known together for when Mochizuki was a second for Ricochet when he worked in New Japan. Like, they're just not guys that interacted all that much. And seeing them come out of the gates here swinging at one another, it shows just how far Ricochet has come over the past year where, you know, September of 2010... He's being slowly led through this speed muscle match and everything is just fine tuned to make sure Ricochet looks amazing here. He just comes out and he is on Mochizuki's level and it is an incredible thing to see. And I thought their interactions were the highlight of what was a truly spectacular match.
2: And, and it's something that you have like these combinations that get a lot of interplay in this match. I think is one of the things that makes this match uniquely special because you talk about Mochizuki and Ricochet I'm thinking about Susumu and Shima. Like, there's a moment where Shima does, like, his 2012 version of doing the full course where he's going to go do Venus, Iconoclasm, and then usually it will be a Meteora. But then as soon as he gets up, as soon as Susumu's up on the turnbuckle, he goes for the Venus uh, Palm Strike, uh, and, and uh, Susumu ducks it and drops down and throws an exploder, and it's just like, all right, these guys are working at a next level here. And it just, like, continued with that pace, and the way that everything worked doing like a 630 splash that is perfect that's like pinpoint knowing like okay I want to pin Mochizuki here so my focus on the splash is my shoulders can come across Mochizuki and that's where the rotation is going to get me and then the thing that got me with like Ray Shea in this match and it's something that I've been having an issue with a lot watching modern wrestling is the standing shooter is one of those moves that I think a lot of people pull off and it looks like dirt Ricochet looked like that he was at stand he ran and jumped and did it and his rotation was so high that like he came down like three feet in the air down on Mochizuki on this standing shooting star press, and it was just was phenomenal. And made you think like these are this this is a team this is a match with uh Mochizuki's in his forties, uh both Susumu and uh Shima are in their late thirties, and you have Ricochet, twenty-three years old, coming in here And proving himself to be a star amongst like these three at least legends of the dragon system they worked really well there they played up the idea that shima and uh they played up the idea that shima was out of blood warriors and was trying to get a ricochet kind of out in a way and trying to get him over to the side uh i chuck taylor was great on color commentary leonard lenny leonard was tremendous on play by play as well and just was like an excellent match that it was like 24 minutes and it was 24 minutes that like brought the house down, and, and in a venue that really could have gone wrong and went wrong for other promotions, this is the way to have a Dragon Gate USA main event. I went four and a half stars on
0: this. I was at four and three quarters. I think I was just a little bit higher than you on everything on this show, and I, I, I don't know, you know what that speaks to. I don't think there's any massive reason for that. This is a match that I had seen before, and a match that I had given the same rating to a few years ago when I saw it for the first time. It's just, it's the Dragon System tag match, and if you like that style like Mike and I do, it's going to be your thing, and if you have any sort of drawbacks or reservations, it's not the match for you, but this hit every single box that I wanted it to hit, and it was just capped off by this incredible, incredible finishing sequence between Shima and Susumu after, like I said earlier, after Shima took so much offense in this match... He was able to overcome, he was able to hit the meteor, and he was able to put Susumu away, w- away for the win. Like I said, four and three quarters. I was just, I was all about this.
2: Yeah, no, this is just, like, one of those matches that, talking about, like, the recess, talking about how this show felt a little different and not necessarily how I was anticipating it, like, it really was, like, you, you started off this with, like, a WrestleMania show, but then you ended the show with, like, true excellence. And this is the kind of stuff that you want to see out of DGUSA. This is the kind of stuff that I feel like that this is the good stuff. This is what you really want out of this. And it was a perfect capper on a great show that just kind of it was, just a, was a show that you, at least in my, in my estimation was just like a complete success to start off the year. And that's not even getting into the oddly delightful post-match stuff.
0: Yeah, which, which, by all means, this seems to be your bread and butter, so go ahead.
2: (laughs) So, Hulk and Akira attack, Loki makes a save, he starts staring everyone down, and uh, I think it was Lenny who said, oh, we have a new sheriff in town, and now we have (laughs) Sheriff Loki basically making sure, we're we're all going to be cool here, I am Loki, we're going to make sure everyone here is not acting up here, we are, everyone's going to be on their best behavior, and it just was, like, truly, like, just one of those things. I was like, yeah, Loki, everyone's going to be on their best behavior because you're here. You've got us all on the straight and narrow. I appreciate this from you, Loki. And it just was an absolute, just, just a funny time out of this match. I had a, 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 And that led right into Loki giving everyone their personal histories, which <laughs> was, again, him staring down Akira Tozawa the entire time and gets a uh, Blood Warriors to back away. And then he goes... I, misaki mochizuki war ball arts you've been everywhere you do a style I love and it just was like this and it's like ricochet you twenty twenty eleven. 2011 you were a belt reaper. and it's just like one of those weird like things that he that you hear him saying you're like why would you say that ever <laughs> only you would say this Wait, you're Loki. not gonna give
0: him direction Mike, you've been on films so that's what you're gonna do direct low key? oh I would never dream of directing key. <laughs> like he, I you was let the man cook. someone I was talking to someone a few days ago who has worked with Loki in the past, and we were just talking about how good Loki is, and I was like, you know, here's the thing, like, I, I'm not against publicly shaming people who aren't wearing masks in public, but if I walk by, like, what am I going to do, tell Loki to wear a mask? Like, wh- who am I? This man will kill me. Like, it's he's the one guy that gets a pass. Like, whatever, like, look, take care of yourself, take care of others, protect everyone, Loki is he'll be fine he will put the coronavirus into submission and you will not want to mess with him afterwards
2: yeah yeah and that's not even the best thing he, then he talked about Shima he was, he was like when you were starting off and you were the star burning of things I was in 0-1 and I was like do you think Shima was aware of Loki's zero one cents do you think like anyone <laughs> nearly even cares and that's why I decided that Loki was the greatest DG USA historian and we can't compare because I'm not going to tell him otherwise. Oh, absolutely. It just was like, no, I, I
0: mean, it's... <laughs> Don't, key. I love it so much just because Key is the antithesis of everything that Drangate preaches. Like this co-op communal family style company that isn't overly ambitious, like just stays in their late it does their work. Loki is the exact opposite of that. And I love it. I love his dynamic in this promotion.
2: It's just like so bizarre, but it's bizarre in a way that like, when when... When uh, Brian Danielson was in this promotion, he was pretty much doing what he wanted to do. But like Brian Danielson, it's like, I want to have great matches. I want to do, I want to have like these things. And I'm going to talk about like what this promotion and by the by proxy, what Gabe Sapolsky means to me. And you have Loki out there Loki doesn't care about DG USA to be honest He's more excited to talk about battle arts With Misaki Mochizuki And comparing a really wild thing Where he's like when I was a rookie you were a rookie It's like no no Shima debuted like 5 years Before the time you're talking about Shima was already the top star in the dragon system At that time but you're not going to tell Loki anything Because he's a historian and he's the sheriff I, I'm going to refer to him now And this as Sheriff Loki He's going to get a little star to put on his vest When he comes out here and it's tremendous stuff and how can't you, like, watch this? And unless you're someone that's, like, either, like, Loki's a bad person or you're someone that is, like, Loki is the most important indie wrestler of all time and everyone else bow to the of Loki. If you have, like, the right mindset of, like, okay, I just like this insane match, and now Loki's here basically giving a book report. It was his whole <laughs> – he, he clears the ring and gives a book report. <laughs>
0: It, look, I'm pumped to have. I think it's two more Dragon USA shows with Loki oh, yeah. on it because I think the promotions are in infinitely better with him than without him.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loki will be a will be a featured star through a, through Miami. I think he's out of here. I don't think I, I'm pretty certain that he's out after Miami. But we get
0: no. He doesn't work the Midwest shows in July, so it's just we have three Loki shows. It's unbelievable how how fast the good times go by. <laughs> it, it, it's
2: like, oh uh, yeah, because. And then he he will not be saying farewell from forever though. Luckily, he we will see him again.
0: Oh my God, that's oh the sheriff God, that's right. does
2: right again. The sheriff. Of well, <laughs> he has other pastures to go take care of first. He has to go make sure everyone else everyone else is on the straight and narrow. There's no fighting, and he can say everything he anyone needs to know about certain wrestlers. Like also, by the way, no comments whatsoever towards the Yokosuka no comments
0: it didn't study didn't know what he was talking about it's his fault yeah yeah i mean
2: he didn't do anything that interested him he did not take belts he was not in ball arts i mean you could talk about how he was someone that did michinoku pro training loki like you're only going to get a b on this book report from me you did not complete the brief i will,
0: I will pose this question to you okay now that I, I believe we've wrapped up what it was, a, an eventful post-match promo and a show that I love top to bottom. We've gone through two full years, two and a half years, really, of Dragon Gate USA shows. Is Open the Golden Gate to this point the best Dragon Gate USA show there's ever been?
2: You know, when I was like looking through everything to get together my, uh, to get together my rankings, I liked the show top to bottom more than anyone else, anything else in 2011. I don't think I like it as much as Open the Untouchable Gate.
0: That is that is the exact one that I don't think it's better than, but I think right now this is the second best show we've seen. And it's
2: well because this is a spot show. They literally did this show because they could fly out there and then fly back to Japan and pick up all the Americans on the way.
0: Yeah, it, but it, it worked. I mean, it was, you know... It's almost one of those things. I wonder if if this was a more efficient way of doing things than the double or even triple shots because everybody had the one match, they worked super hard, and they went home. And that's what Dragon Gate USA should have been.
2: I mean, hey, I will take it. I will take it. So it is a great show, you know, is something that's completely kind of broken my brain in a little bit of a way, but in the right way, like now I'm imagining Sheriff Luki like appearing at the collective and going like Paradigm Pro Wrestling. I, I see that you do UWFI rules matches. I find those matches interesting too. And I mean, he's the person who quit out of doing the first ever blood sport. Remember that two years ago?
0: Oh, I, I do because I've heard he was pissed at him. I was like, you know what? It's Loki. Good for Loki. <laughs> I was like, yeah, good, good for him. He doesn't need to do this. He doesn't need to work. Matt, R- Matt Riddle, fuck that. No, protect your image. Matt Riddle's b- is. beneath
2: Loki. He does not have a good enough uh, brief for him to talk
0: about. In a way, Loki was on the right side of history because uh, I wouldn't want to waste, waste my time with Matt Riddle either, but it is, you know, one of those things I mean, this episode will come out after The Collective has happened. I hope Loki goes to The Collective and double stomps every single dork there. I think that would be an efficient use of time.
2: Loki versus the Karate Man, Ethan Page. Just takes his head off.
0: God, God, what a waste of talent Ethan Page is. <laughs> Mike, is there is there anything else on Open the Golden Gate that you need to discuss? Or are we ready to break down what's coming next week? I
2: mean, I... I, I I, I wanna kinda of wanna do low key book reports and everyone else, but that might be con content that will make the show extremely long and will, everyone will be like, Okay, Spears, we get it. You find low key very funny. So yes, l- l- let's break down Heat.
0: That's that's paywall content, my friend. <laughs> but as for Heat, which is coming up next week, we are going to WrestleMania weekend in Hollywood, Florida, for a show that will feature Oh, low key's on this show, so we've got we've got three low key shows. That's terrific. The sheriff it's is lo- in Florida. The Sheriff's in Florida case. It's Loki versus Bobby Fish. Ricochet versus Mike Cruz, who I will be giving a book report on next week. Masato Yoshino versus a debuting luchador who will remain nameless until we start that show. The scene of Caleb Conley and Scott Reed are going to wrestle Shima and Masaki Mochizuki. Pac will wrestle AR Fox and the main event. We get the signature Dragon Gate match coming to America, the nine-man tag team three-way elimination match with Ronan, the DUF, and Mad Blanky of Akira Tozawa, BB Hulk, and UHA Nation.
2: Boy, things are changing and changing quick. We will have a lot of stuff to talk about before we even get into this, episode, this match. And, and I have a story about this show as well that we'll get into as we will be fully into Spear's territory for the next few weeks.
0: I look forward to it. It should be a lot of fun shows, and I am very happy with Gate USA in 2012 up to this point.
2: We might be in an era of good feelings. We'll see how long this lasts. Probably not long.
0: Not long. No, not at all. Yeah,
2: so that's going to do it for this episode of From the VoiceGate Rewind and Rewatch. We'll be back with you next week as we head to Miami for 2012 WrestleMania season. Take care, everyone.